today. Please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, verses 16 through 24. And as you're turning, I want to let you know that your prayers over Gaza and the things that are happening between Israel and Hamas are being answered, possibly not in a way that you dreamed. Uh, a fellow by the name of Michael Lacona, who does a lot of archaeological work in uh, the Holy Land, uh, he is also a, a, new, a professor of New Testament studies at Houston Christian University. He says, over the past two days, we have ministered to hundreds of fathers who've lost most, if not all, of their, of their children in the war. And as we moved these men to safety, we fed them, we washed their clothes, and began to read the Bible to them, sharing the way of peace through Jesus, the report said. Then a big miracle happened. Last night, Jesus appeared to more than 200 of them in their dreams. They've come back to us to learn more from God's word and asking how to follow Jesus. Keep praying. It's a horrible thing happening over there. I used to live there. It's a horrible thing, but at the same time, God can do things. I'm reminded of the last chapter of Genesis when Joseph told his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Our passage today is 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, and it goes like, uh, verse 16 through 24, and it goes like this, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, is faithful, who will also do it. May God add a blessing to the reading of his most precious word today. Um, I don't know what Thanksgiving means to you. I know before I became a minister, Thanksgiving meant that I've got, uh, oh, I've not turned on the microphone, I'm sorry. How's that? Is that better? But I have a suspicion I was so loud mouthed it didn't matter. <laughs> I don't know what Thanksgiving meant to you, but for me, uh, I had two families. I had the Birch family, that was my mom's side, and I had the Williamson family, which was my father's side. The Williamson family lived outside of Mendenhall, Mississippi, in Simpson County. And my mom's family lived in Crystal Springs, uh, just, and I don't remember the county name off the top of my head. They were farmers. They had big houses. And we had to go to two Thanksgivings. You can probably understand why this is the way it is now. And it was awesome to go there. It's like every member of the family, every brother, every sister, was cooking for the whole crew and so we had about four or five Thanksgivings worth of food on the table for everybody. And uh, we would eat. And then as the tryptophan and the turkey took effect, we would sleep. And they'd wake up and we'd go to the next family. And we would eat there. And to me, Thanksgiving uh, wasn't the blessed time. It was more of a feast time. And when it was all said and done, uh, I would say, oh, never again, please never again as I had to recover from it. But we talk about Thanksgiving and we know that it, we trace it back to the pilgrims. And 
so often, you know, in school, we, we talk about the pilgrims, and we really don't understand the true history of the pilgrims and what they went through. Uh, if you had been a pilgrim, would you have been able to give thanks? Consider what they went through. The men and women who broke bread together on that first Thanksgiving in 1621, they had uprooted themselves and sailed for America, an endeavor so hazardous that published guys advised people that were making that journey to first make thy will. The crossing was very rough, and the Mayflower was blown off course. Instead of reaching Virginia, where the Englishmen had settled 13 years earlier, the pilgrims ended up in the wilds of Massachusetts. By the time they found a place to make their new home, Plymouth they called it, winter had set in. Any of you have ever been back east when the winter kicked in? It's not the best time to be there. The storms were frightful. Uh, when they made shelter, a lot of times what they would do is disassemble the ship they came in on. Uh, they couldn't do it in this case. So they had to make do cutting down logs in the forest and trying to make houses. But unfortunately, they'd never done that sort of thing before. So the winds blew through the houses. You can imagine you're in your nice warm house looking at the snowfall. They were looking at the snowfall outside and inside. So it was, it was a miserable time. The shelter was primitive, not up to the needs of the colonists. There was very little food. Within weeks, nearly all the settlers were sick. That which was most sad and lamentable, Governor William Bradford later recalled, was that in two or three months' time, half the company had died, especially in January and February. Having the depth, being the depth of winter and wanting houses in comfort, being infected with scurvy and other diseases, there died sometimes two or three a day. When, string, when spring came, Indians showed up and showed them how to plant corn, but their first crops were dismal. Supplies ran out, but their sponsors in London refused to send more. The first time the pilgrims sent a shipment of goods to England, it was captured and stolen by pirates. If you'd been there in 1621, if you had seen half of your friends die, if you had suffered through famine, maltrition, and sickness, if you had endured a year of heartbreak and tragedy, would you have felt grateful? But feelings and faith are not the same. As I read through my Bible, especially the Old Testament, I found something unusual. When I lived in Israel, we, were all, we always talked about the feast days because the Jewish folks were there. Of course, it's their country. And they were following the Old Testament. And they would come up with, the, with their feast days and talk about the day of Todah, the Thanksgiving offering. It was prescribed as an optional offering. You didn't have to do it. But one would offer an animal along with some of the fruit of the harvest as an act of thanksgiving to God. It was not required. It was totally at the discretion and the free will of the worshiper. David said in Psalms 107, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His words with thanksgiving. This is where it gets interesting, at least to me. Do you know that nowhere in the Old Testament is a word translated grateful or gratitude? But over 114 uses are found for the word thanksgiving. 
So I got curious. I pulled out my old seminary books. And I looked up the word Thanksgiving. And as I said earlier, it is pronounced todal. I also found that it was surprising. It has a dual meaning. It means to give thanks, but it also means to confess. And so when you talk about Thanksgiving, back in the Old Testament, it's insightful because biblical confession does not mean telling me your sins, your pastor. It means to speak out of your mouth the same things that are in your heart, to speak words of thanksgiving. And they pour out of your mouth because it reflects what your heart believes to be true about God and His character and His love and provision for you. 2 Corinthians says, Having the same spirit of faith, we believe. And because we believe, we speak also. Have you ever felt it? The Spirit of God welling up inside you and you were talking to your friends and you had to tell them what God did for you. You had to tell them what was on your heart. And the great Christians in the crowd would lean forward and say, tell me more. But after a while, you started noticing the rolling of eyes. The idea is that as God's Spirit is on your heart, you have no choice but to declare. The verses from Psalms 107 combine giving thanks and giving sacrifices of thanks and declaring His works with rejoicing. There you have it. The core concept of giving thanks something that comes through the heart, from the heart, through the mouth, unlike the tithe, which was required giving, the thanksgiving offering was an offering that was given from the heart by faith. Many of you were raised Catholic and Anglican, and your backgrounds have a grasp of what the word Eucharist means. I hope so, at least. Many of you equate it with communion, but the meaning of the word Eucharist is thanksgiving. The context for giving thanks in the offer is the offering of the Son of Man on behalf for our sins. There is one more subtle thing you ought to know. The root of the word Eucharist is charis, which means grace. Some of you remember grace as God's riches, as Christ's expense. Something that we don't deserve. God's grace elicits a heart response of giving thanks. Why are we told to give thanks? Let me share with you three reasons. Whether we like it or not, thanksgiving is an act of faith. Most of us tend to give thanks after we are blessed, but not beforehand. And unfortunately, that is a self-centered approach to thanksgiving and not a God-centered one. In Colossians, the fourth chapter, it says, Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Philippians 4, chapter 4, says where Paul, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a problem with that. We like to think that we can understand it all. We like to think that there's nothing outside our ability to grasp and comprehend. Paul tells you, the peace of God surpasses that comprehension. The peace of God is something you will never understand. 
But if you hold on to it, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are urged to pray with thanksgiving. I'll help you. What does that look like? Some of you are asking. To express thanks is to actualize the gratitude that we feel in our hearts. By uttering our thanks, we give mere gratitude the creative power of the spoken word. Our gratitude then becomes a witness to ourself and to others. Our thanksgiving is not merely making a down payment on our prayer by faith. Giving thanks is an act of faith in God regardless of the outcome of our desires. When you're following God, and I don't know how many of you have, have ever just sat outside and braved the mosquitoes in the summer and watched the streetlights. And after a while, as the sun goes down, the only light around is that streetlight. And insects by the millions come to that light. And they, they swarm around it. And then all the animals that need to eat come to that light as well. And they eat the insects. And you watch the bats flying around and the birds and all this. And it's a pretty entertaining show. But it's also a witness to what it's like if you are a Christian and you're really following God. I'm not talking about a casual Christian. What's a casual Christian? Somebody who was taught for, as a child to come to church. And after they went through years and years of coming to church, it became a good habit. And they kept coming to church. But as far as God affecting their lives, all it did for them was bring them to church. In the South, we called them the Merriam and Barium Club. You came to church so somebody would marry you. And then when your time came and you passed away, someone was there to bury you. That's what casual Christianity is all about. And I am not talking about that. I'm talking about when you wake up in the morning and you pray to God, not because you feel you have to, not because you've got a list of things that you've got to do, and number one is pray and you check that box. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you wake up and the first thing that comes out of your heart is, God, thank you. Thank you. I've got so much to do today. God, thank you. Thank you for leading me. Lord, I want to do my day the way you would have me do it. Lord, I want to see the love of God come out of me to my friends and to my family. I want them to see that I am a Christian. It's important to me. We used to say in the 70s, I've said it many times in this pulpit, if Christianity was a crime, was there enough evidence to convict you? The idea is that as you follow God, you're going to see things happen in your life. Just like the light of the street attracts moths and other insects, people will be attracted to you. And they're going to want to know, what is it about you that's so different? What is it about you that I can't understand? And you'll be able to tell them one day, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus led me. Jesus birthed me. Jesus is the reason I'm here. Jesus is the reason for so many things in, in the United States that you're so unaware of. And yet Jesus was here. Jesus sponsored it. It's happening. Let me take a detour and tell you about the difference between faith and belief. Many people believe in, in and out of churches today have belief. 97% of Americans confess a belief in God. 
But something is missing. Faith is a relational trust in God that translates into action. Belief is mere mental acknowledgement of facts or truth, but does not necessarily translate into action. I don't know how many of you have ever watched high-wire performers in circuses. How many of you have ever seen one of these guys? Their, their balance is phenomenal. And they stretch a rope across the top, and you're in the, the tent where the circus is. And you look up, and this guy comes out with a big pole, and he steps on the rope, and he just walks across the rope, holding that pole for balance. And then when he gets to the other end, he slowly turns, and he tosses that pole aside, and he does this, just to show you that he's got talent. And then he pulls out a wheelbarrow, and he walks that wheelbarrow across the rope. And then he tosses the wheelbarrow aside, and he walks it again, but this time his arms are at his side. He's showing you that he has mastered that rope. And many of you would say, after you watch this guy, I believe. And many of you would say, you know, I believe I could sit in that wheelbarrow. And he could push me across there. And many times, these high-wire performers have said, why didn't somebody come up and get in the wheelbarrow? Climb up to the top, jump in the wheelbarrow, we'll go across here. You know how many people normally come up and do that? Goose egg. Goose egg. Nobody. Nobody. Nobody wanted to do it. The crowd went silent. It was offered, but no one really had faith. They believed the intellectual premise that the high wire performer could do all the things he said. But they didn't have the faith to get in the barrel and trust him with their lives. Number two, how does your faith interact with your thanks? It is based upon trusting God with your life. How does it translate into action? Because like I've said before, thanksgiving is an act of worship. Psalms 95 says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Over and over throughout the scriptures, we are exhorted to come into the literal presence of God with thanksgiving. How many of you are afraid... If God had set up a booth like he did in Israel, how many of you would have been afraid to go into the presence of God? I would say most of us. Most of us. Because the feeling is that I am not worthy. I am not worthy to step into God's presence. But the reality is someone was worthy. And he died for you. And you accepted him as your Savior and Lord. And now you're told. You're welcome there. The place before God is your place. You are welcome there. Thanksgiving is the preliminary act of worship for the worshiper. Psalms 100, many of us have learned it as a, as a hymn. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. I remember when I was young in the church, and sometimes I wish we would go back to this. We had a time of testimony early in our church service where people were given the opportunity to publicly acknowledge the goodness of God. We also had opportunities for people to say, I need prayer on this. And we would stand up and we would give testimony to God's greatness or our personal needs. And I tend to think it led to a more God-centered worship. Now, I'm not advocating that necessarily. 
But I'm just saying that when I was younger, we could do that. People knew that you could trust everybody around you. If you had to say something sensitive, it wasn't going to get out of the church. Believe it or not, we had some pretty cool people back then that could keep a secret. Thanksgiving acknowledges the nature of God. Psalms 118 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. He is good. What is thanksgiving? Giving thanks is an act of humble recognition and dependence on God that is the supplier of your needs. It recognizes what God has done and who He is. We are so used to doing things on our own. We are so used to not even giving God a second thought when we go out in our day. We are so used to being in a situation and it never occurred to us to bring God into it. I watched a couple fight one time and uh, it, it, it was getting pretty bad. And finally the woman looked at the man and said, Honey, let's pray about this. Now this is in the South, I grant you. But it changed the whole dynamic of the fight. Because she was saying, I don't have an answer. You don't have an answer. No, none of our answers are that good. Let's go to God with it. And they went off to the food court and found a little corner, sat down and prayed. And I left before they got finished praying. But they were willing to say, God, we can't do it. You got to do it, please. 1 Thessalonians that we read today said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It doesn't say occasionally for everything. Nor does it say in good times give thanks. Instead, it says in everything give thanks. Now that takes faith. And that was the attitude of the pilgrims. They weren't thanking God for what he has done or not done. They were thanking him in every circumstance because they believed that God remains the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do we thank God only when we have a job? Do we thank God when we have good health? Do we thank God when we have a roof over our heads? How about thanking God in the midst of losing everything due to a flood, a storm, or theft? How about thanking God in the midst of losing a loved one? How is that for faith? You know, I, I'm a hospice chaplain, all right? And many of you know what hospice is. In the last days of somebody's life, we come alongside the family and we help them in any way that we can to make their burden a lot more bearable. And I can't begin to tell you how many times that me as a chaplain sitting at the bedside of someone who's dying and we're talking with the family, and we're talking with the patient. And the patient would say things that you would never dream. He didn't say, man, it's awful I'm dying. Man, it's terrible that my life is going to end. No, most of the time, they would say things like, I really appreciate you guys being around me. I really appreciate what I've been given. My life has been really good. And the reason it has is because of all of you. There's a lot of, of thankfulness when somebody is dying. You believe me? I'm telling you it happens. And I walk out of those meetings sometimes with families and I wonder who blessed who. Because I don't feel like I was much of a blessing 
But the patient and family sure blessed me. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgement of that all things come from God and God is the author of our lives regardless of the level of comfort we have. When I was a sailor, we traveled through South America and uh, I, I, we didn't have a chaplain on that particular ship. And so we used to go to church in the town that our ship pulled into. And this one place was a church and it was uh, Iglesia Bautista. And, and so, you know, Baptist church. And so I went to it and I walked into the church and of course it's a small town. Everybody knows who everybody is. So this sailor walks in and sits down and it's almost like a scandal. What is a sailor doing in here? What is, what is this all about? And so I sat through the worship and uh, the hymns. I recognized them by the, the songs that were played. And I would sing them in English, but not so loud that I was obnoxious. And after it was over, the pastor came up to me and shook my hand. And in very broken English, he said, Do you have to go back to your, your barco, your ship, right now? And I said, No, I don't think so. He said, Well, well come into my house. Now, most of you, when you think of a pastor's house or any house in general, you have an idea of what you're walking into. It was totally foreign to me. The pastor's house, they took a huge sheet of plywood and they put it on a frame. And there must have been about 16 sheets of plywood. And they leaned that plywood against the side of the church. And then they sealed it in real good with rubber caulking and everything. And inside... They had those pallets they used to pick up stuff. They put pallets on the floor, and they put plywood on top of those pallets. And that was his floor. And you walked in, and there was a little burner there, and they had, they had run a line of electricity from the church. And he had a two-burner stove, and his wife was in there making soup. And we walked in, and we sat down, and we had a meal eating soup. And I could see their beds on the other side of a curtain that they had. And that was the pastor of the church. And you might say to yourself, wow, he, he, he must have been hating life. No. He was talking about how good the church had been to him. He was talking about what he was looking forward to in the past. He was telling me that I ought to consider being a minister because it's the best life there is. And, and my old Southern Baptist, Jackson, Mississippi, living in a four-bedroom house with two bathrooms and a big old backyard and all these things. And I'm thinking to myself... Brother, what you're living through is not exactly a good recommendation for being a pastor. But he made up for it in the spirit of God around his life and in his heart. And his wife too. And they were just so thankful of all that they had. That pastor got it down right. Thanksgiving acknowledges that we understand that God is in control, God is sovereign, and that God does have our best in mind. Finally, what is the danger of counting your blessings as the basis for your thanksgiving? When we count our blessings as the basis of giving thanks, we will tend not to be thankful at all. We will tend not to be very worshipful. When things don't go the way they think that we ought to, we will respond in ways that are not very Christ-like. 
How do we react when a loved one dies? How do we react when we are sick, we lose our job, or when our car stops working? Do we still live with a heart of thanksgiving, or do we get angry at God for making our lives difficult? When our thanksgiving is conditional, we put ourselves in the place of God, deciding what is good and what is not. Many of you know that Canyon City has got a Thanksgiving and a Christmas community meal. And I want you to know that for the past five or six years, I've been a part of that. And it's been a huge blessing to me because I give up my Thanksgiving where I'm at home and I'm foraging on dressing and turkey and gobs of leftovers. I don't do that. And I'm not telling you this to say how good I am. I'm telling you this is what I do because God draws me to do it. And we, we show up at 8.30 on Thanksgiving Day like I'll do this Thursday. And we'll immediately start making up to-go plates for the less fortunate that can't come out. Some of them are hospice patients. Some of them are just sick. They can't make it out. So we're making up all these to-go plates. And we already got 150 of them we got to do. And after we get done making all those to-go plates, uh, the people come and pick them up. And we give them to them. And then at 11 o'clock, we switch over and we start doing the dining in. And people shuffle in and their clothing is not the best. People shuffle in and they're not doing so well, you can tell. Some of them walk in from where they're at in Canyon City. They don't drive their car to our ample parking lot. They drive in. They don't. They walk in. And you can tell they're tired, they're sweating a little bit. They come a long distance. And they come in and we sit down and we feed them Thanksgiving and we talk to them about their lives and how are they doing. Some of them are veterans and their minds were kind of wrecked and their spirits were kind of hurt by what they saw in foreign lands. And they get to come be with us fellow veterans and we talk to them. We sit down at the table and we talk to them about what, how things are going. And it's an amazing thing at the end of that Thanksgiving meal we'll have fed anywhere from Five, six hundred people when it's all done. And it won't feel like we fed more than 50. Because God is energizing us the whole time. And when it's all said and done, as people are walking out the door, we say, bless you in the name of the Father. Bless you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for being with us today. And they're saying, why are you thanking us? We're thanking you. Oh, it's the other way around. We want to be a blessing to people. And all those volunteers come out of the woodwork on Thanksgiving Day and they help us. I can't explain it, but it's like God's Spirit is, is over the city of Canyon City and it's telling people, you need to be a blessing today. Why don't you go to the VFW and be a part of that Thanksgiving meal? Why don't you go do that? And they'll get up and they'll, tell, they'll, they'll dress their kids and they'll come be a part of our Thanksgiving meal by being a volunteer. Folks, the, the central symbol of our faith is not the horn of plenty, but the cross of suffering. I love a horn of plenty. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They'll take a, a wicker basket and they'll stuff them full of apples and pears and all these things. And they'll give them as gifts to people. And it, it's a neat thing to have them on your, on your, your table at your house. And you get to eat fruit whenever you want to. It's a great thing. But it has, it's nothing compared to what Jesus did on the cross for us.
During most of his life, Jesus could not count on any earthly treasures. Jesus had no home. He had no steady income or salary. His family had been estranged from him. In his hour of need, even his closest friends deserted him. His body was broken and his spirit was crushed. By all human reckoning, at that moment of suffering, he was alone. When you strip away every illusion of success, when all earthly treasures fail, there is only one thing remaining. But that is the greatest treasure of all, the love of our Father in heaven, through Jesus Christ our Lord. I wish you great blessings for your Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday. I wish you the joy of family. I wish you the renewing of your spirit as you take some time off from work. But what I wish for you most of all in this Thanksgiving holiday is to know, not suspect, but know for certain how much Jesus loves you. Would you please come up?